Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are focusing on the scriptures dealing with the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, and we are comparing and contrasting those scriptures that we've been exploring with the gospel of grace. The gospel of the kingdom was preached by Jesus to Israel when he came the first time, and when Israel rejected his offer of the kingdom that he would set up on the earth at that time 2,000 years ago, he then turned to the gospel of grace, which of course is the gospel that we as believers in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross is what we believe, it's what we follow. And we're looking at the difference between these two because there are significant differences. Yes, they are both preached by Jesus. They both are, uh, they preach uh, moral uh, certitudes that we uh, should all follow, whether we are a Jew or a Gentile, whatever the case may be. But there are significant differences. And one of the, the significant differences that people don't really appreciate when they think of gospel They automatically assume something. But, for instance, in the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus never talked about death, burial, and resurrection. He never talked about having to go to Jerusalem. It was all based on faith that he is the son of the living God, that he is the promised Messiah. And there are uh, probably some of you out there listening that may think, oh, boy, now we're, we're treading on some uh, questionable ground here. Well, that's why we're here, is to take what you might think is questionable ground and look at the Scriptures, as we have been doing uh, ever since the inception of this ministry uh, here at WHCB Radio, is to look at the Scriptures, as many of the Scriptures as we possibly can, to establish what is fact, what is fiction, and where are the misunderstandings and what has caused those misunderstandings. And frankly, uh, a good part of the misunderstandings is the point that the gospel of the kingdom, as it exists uh, and and is laid out uh, principally in the four gospels, is not really preached as the gospel of the kingdom to understand what was Jesus trying to get across. And I say trying because the Israelites did not accept him. Even though he is God, and he came down here and took on human form so that he could relate with mankind, as we've talked about before when we looked at the difference between son of God and son of man, that the Israelites just weren't accepting who he was. And that's the important point, is what what was Jesus trying to tell them that they were not wanting to accept? What's the difference? And it's it's based in the Scriptures. So that's what we want to uh, spend our time on here the next several programs. As we look at the gospel of the kingdom, we've already established the uh, Old Testament background. We've already established that there would be a tribulation, a terrible time 
of testing for the world and principally for Israel uh, before Jesus would set up his kingdom at that time 2,000 years ago. That's all prophesied. We've established that through the Old Testament and references in the New Testament, and now we've started in Matthew chapter 3 to establish some of the mechanics, if you will, the basics of what was Jesus preaching when he came uh, as the prophesied Messiah, the prophesied um, king, the prophesied conqueror, and as many people were ready to recognize him as, as the prophet. And, of course, there were many prophets. So they, they really were quick to identify him as prophet, but they had a hard time with Messiah and king, as we see and we'll see as we go through these scriptures. And we were in Matthew chapter 3, um, which is at the beginning of his ministry and actually just before the beginning of his ministry. In chapter 3 of Matthew and verses 1 through 3, we read last time that this is John the Baptist being described here. And he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2, stating, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this kingdom of heaven is the king, this Messiah who would come from God, had been prophesied in the Old Testament, would come to the earth, and he is now here. John the Baptist is now announcing that this promised Messiah is here. He is at hand, and that's what that phrase means. So if Jesus is here, the promised Messiah is here, the promised king is here, therefore the kingdom of heaven, this gospel of the kingdom is ready to be set up. And he's going to explain as we go along here in the gospels, as we move through Matthew uh, somewhat chronologically here, we see the different um, talks, if you will, that Jesus gave. He gave four major talks during his um, three-plus years of ministry on the earth. The first major talk, if you will, is the the um, Sermon on the Mount, and we'll get to that here in a couple of programs to talk about the specifics because this is where Jesus lays out most of the details of the gospel of the kingdom in terms of what the people must believe, how they must behave, what the the ethical, what the moral standards are for being allowed into the kingdom. And he describes all that in the um, Sermon on the Mount. Well, the people, uh, that goes from chapters 5, 6, and 7. But then we find in Matthew in chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, the people start to turn away from him, principally the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, Basically, the ruling council, the leadership of Israel, uh, was turning away from him after he made these uh, pronouncements about what the kingdom would be like and who he was and what his role as king in the kingdom would be. So they start to reject him. So in Matthew 13, he gives his next big talk, and that is the mysteries of the kingdom, the kingdom mysteries and basically basically talking about life after he had been rejected. And he talked in parables, and the reason he started talking in parables, uh, starting in Matthew chapter 13, was he was now starting to talk to the unbelievers about the kingdom, about the mysteries of the kingdom, and they would remain the mysteries of the kingdom to the unbelievers. But as you go through chapter 13, 
you see that he would explain these parables to the apostles, to the disciples, to the people who wanted to know. He would go, he was gracious and would explain them to them. But to everyone else, he spoke in what are called parables, so that unless you were seeking him, you never grasp the truth. In other words, he, he says more than once, they have the eyes to see but don't see. They have the ears to hear but don't hear. They don't understand me because they don't want to understand me. But if you're seeking me, you will find me, and I will explain these mysteries to you. So he, he has this second great talk where he gives these parables in Matthew 13, and then he his uh, third great talk is what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and that's where he talks to the Israelites, specifically to a handful of apostles, about what it's going to be like at the end of the age. This is in Matthew. Matthew 24 and 25 are about what it's going to be like at the end of the age and uh, and about my second coming. So he talks about the tribulation and the second coming that will follow because of the unbelief and the rejection of Jesus. And then finally, uh, we have to go over to the book of John to his last great talk, and that's in the Upper Room Discourse. And that's where he talks to the apostles uh, about the church age, about being in that period of time uh, between Pentecost and the rapture of the church. And he talks about the rapture, actually does, and this is in John chapters 13 through 17. So there's there's four great talks, but there's only one that deals with the gospel of the kingdom, the offer of the kingdom to Israel in his first coming. The other three have to do with what what's going to happen because they've rejected me. So you can see the importance, and actually at the same time, I believe you can see the gracious love that uh, God, that Jesus has for his people and for the church is after they've rejected him, he spends three of his four discussions or sermons or however you'd like to describe them talking about, hey, here's here's what's going to happen. I'm giving you a heads up of what it's going to take to be, uh, as it was going forward, saved in the kingdom. He never talked really about salvation through a belief in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection during his gospel of the kingdom. That's one of the significant differences that I think a lot of people don't appreciate either because they've never heard it or they choose not to preach it that way because they would rather turn it into a church-oriented discussion of moral uh, and ethical uh, uprightness uh, and good behavior, uh, which, of course, is is very right and and very applicable. But uh, a lot of times we miss the meat of why he, he preached the gospel of the kingdom to Israel the way he did. Um, so we will take some time here to um, get into that because I think it's important that we understand the difference between these two Gospels rather than let them be melded together and we uh, therefore miss a lot of, the, uh, of what Christ would have us know, what the Holy Spirit would have us learn about the character of God. And uh, again, as I mentioned in our last program, the Gospel of the Kingdom will be preached again. It will be preached during the tribulation period uh, to Israel because Jesus will be coming back to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem with Israel as the preeminent people, just as had been promised the first time. So what we can understand about it here 
will be uh, applicable to our understanding of what is um, uh, prophesied about his second coming that we see principally in, like I said, uh, Matthew chapter 24 and uh, Matthew 25. So we were in Matthew chapter 3, as I said, we saw where uh, John the Baptist was announcing, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I wanted to take one little side uh, side trip here just to establish this kingdom and Jesus' right to claim the throne of that kingdom, that uh, he is the king who had been prophesied. So if you would, and we're going to come back to Matthew th- chapter 3, so you can put your hand there, maybe a piece of paper, or just um, because you're getting more and more familiar with where the books are, you'll just be able to quickly turn back to Matthew. But we're going to go way back into the Old Testament to Second Samuel. So you have um, the uh, two books of the Kings, and then you have the two books, excuse me, the two books of Samuel, and then the two books of the Kings. So if you found Kings, you need to go back to the left. We want to go to Second Samuel. We want to go to chapter 7. And this is one of the covenants in the Bible, one of the important covenants in the Bible. You have the Abrahamic covenant. You have the Mosaic covenant. And this is what we call the Davidic covenant. And, of course, it's named for King David because it's about King David during his lifetime. And in Second Samuel chapter 7, so this is about a 1,000 years before Christ. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting at verse 10, I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, and of course that would be Jerusalem, that they may live in their own place and may not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Verse 11, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. So he's. this is uh, the Lord speaking to David. He says, I'm going to make a house for you, David. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth for you, and I will establish his kingdom. So just as he established David's kingdom, he's now going to establish Solomon's kingdom. That's who he's referring to as the descendant after you. I will establish his kingdom. And here's the key verse I want us to see. He, Solomon, shall build a house for my name. And remember, Solomon built the temple. It was the Solomonic temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Well, he built this temple back in 930-something B.C. Um, I believe that's right, or 960-something B.C. Let me, let me get that straight. 961, I believe it is. 961 B.C., he built the temple, uh, and then he built a, a house for himself, King David, um, that um, had been established before under King David. David was not allowed as the king to build the temple. God told him that he had blood on his hands, therefore he would not be allowed to build the temple. Solomon would. Uh, so so Solomon is, Solomon is the um, second king in the kingly line. He's the third king. Remember, Saul was the first king that came after the judges. 
that are referred to there in uh, verse 11, even from the day I commanded judges over you, after the period of the judges of about 325 years, then Saul came along and became king, but he was not a king in the uh, in the line that God had established through Jacob back in uh, Genesis 49. It would be through the line of Judah, and, and Saul was from Benjamin. So David was the first in the kingly line through Judah, and Solomon, therefore, in that line, and ultimately Jesus would be in that line. And the reason we have that established here is I want to continue in verse 13. It says, He, Solomon, shall build a house for my name, which is the temple, and I, God, will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant states that God would establish a kingly line, that is the bloodline of Judah, and that would start with King David, and it would go all the way down to Christ. So when Christ comes at uh, came to the earth the first time, he was in the kingly line. Therefore, he had the biblical covenantal right and authority to the throne. And I wanted to establish that for you because um, particularly if you're not familiar with the different covenants in the Bible, again, this is one of the key key covenants that we find, and that's the Davidic covenant. The king and the and the throne would be established in Jerusalem in the line of Judah, the line of David, through Jesus forever. So we go back to Matthew chapter 3 as we've established that Jesus is the rightful heir to that throne, and he's there to claim that throne, but only if the people, the, the Israelites, would accept him as the promised king, the promised Messiah. Of course, we know that uh, they don't, but uh, he came to establish a kingdom, and he had a gospel, a good news about that kingdom, and that's what we want to follow along here for the next several programs. So here we are in verse 7 of Matthew 3. So we're back to Matthew 3, back to Matthew 3, and this is John the Baptist talking now as he's baptizing people, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repenting means to turn from your sins, turn from your sins, a conscious turn away to uh, ask for forgiveness of your sins. And, And it seemed fairly simple. I just need to go down to the Jordan or wherever John happened to be baptizing, and I get baptized by him, and I'm going to get forgiven of my sins. And everybody was thinking that's as simple as it was, and that's all there was to it. They weren't thinking very much beyond that, particularly the leadership. So look at verse 7. But when he, that's John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance, so he really got after him uh, in a big way here. You brood of vipers, and here he is, some guy that's come out of the wilderness wearing sackcloth, telling the leadership of Israel, you're a brood of vipers, because what they were looking to do was escape the wrath that they knew was coming from the Old Testament, and they thought all they had to do was go down in the Jordan and get dunked by John the Baptist. And he was telling him, you think that by doing this you're going to flee the wrath to come. Well, There's a lot more to it, and we're going to talk about that lot more to it in our next program as we look at um, 
Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, and we'll do that uh, as we start our next teaching portion. But now we need to transition to our Q&A, and we are following along a a, a question in uh, this part of the program that says, who is not going to be included in the rapture of the church? Who is not included in the rapture of the church? And we have shown, first of all, who the believers are who would be taken in the rapture. And we did that looking how it started in Matthew 16 with a profession by Peter that um, Jesus is the Son of the living God, and it's that profession, that belief, that faith was what got you, uh, which would save you and that would take you to heaven in the rapture. Then we saw in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, that that's the simple gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. Belief in that would show that he is the Son of the living God, particularly in the resurrection from the dead. And then we were in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 20 through 26. So let's go there because that is so full of information for us to help explain uh, that there's so much more to the recognition of the righteous people than just the rapture of the church. Uh, you know, in, in a lot of cases, because we just aren't being taught otherwise or haven't studied enough to understand for ourselves that we think there's the rapture of the church and then everybody else goes to hell. And it's quite quite different from that. And we get a good taste of that and a foundation to build on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 26. We read through that in our last program, and the point was that Adam, it's because of the sin in the garden that all uh, are in a sin nature, and therefore Christ has come, uh, as we see in verse 22, that all will be made alive, that Christ was resurrected first. So um, who's not included in the rapture church? Well, Jesus wasn't. (laughs) He was resurrected 2,000 years ago as the first fruits, the first example, the first benefit, if you will, uh, as an example to the church of righteousness, faith in Christ for who he is. He was resurrected first as the proof first and then the example for us to follow going forward. So from that point in time, yes, Everybody who believed in Jesus Christ would be taken in the rapture. That's basically what is now, uh, as of today, approximately a 2,000-year period out of the 6,000 years of uh, the history of the world from from creation in Genesis chapter 1 until today has been about six, right at 6,000 years. But only 2,000 of those years, the the current and going back 2,000 years to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that has been the church age. That is the period, the the group of people, if you will, who will, uh, those that are counted as righteous will be taken in the rapture. But what about the 4,000 years before that? What about the period of time after the rapture of the church? If you say only the righteous, or excuse me, the rapture takes all the righteous, well, you're leaving out a whole lot of righteous people (laughs) that didn't live, that didn't have the opportunity uh, as the church does and has for the last 2,000 years to accept Christ. 
that there are there were other opportunities, and that's what we need to understand. And what by by taking the time to go through this and look at these various passages, one we're we're seeing how the righteous are dealt with in different parts of the Bible, not just the New Testament, not just the church age, because obviously the New Testament deals with a period of time before the church, and it deals with a thousand years plus a thousand years plus after the rapture of the church. So we get a, a kind of a good overview, if you will, just by taking the time here during this Q&A to go over who are these different groups that the Bible refers to as being counted as righteous but are not part of the church, are not taken up in the rapture that we are eagerly awaiting to happen at any moment here, this signless next event in the prophetic calendar. We're waiting for that to happen. Well, the Bible refers to these uh, different groups of righteous people uh, outside of the church age as the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints, the Jews, and the Gentiles that enter the millennial kingdom after the tribulation. So you have these different groups of people. All of them are counted as righteous, either have been historically or will be prophetically in the future that we need to understand because just because they weren't taken in the rapture doesn't mean that they go to hell and, and praise God for that, that there is um, that opportunity for these people to come to faith ultimately in Jesus Christ. And we'll explain that, uh, that, you know, you may ask yourself, well, how can you be counted as righteous unless you believe in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, there is a requirement for faith, and we'll talk about that, um, but it's a faith in what God made, uh, had revealed as revealed truth to them in their circumstances. Ultimately, it will be Christ, and like I say, we'll talk about that. That's found in Hebrews, um, but we need to tie that all together so we understand that righteous people will be um, either in heaven, in their glorified bodies with us as the church, or will be on the earth uh, receiving their rewards, but in their righteousness because of their faith. So let's um, start with um, the Old Testament saints, and these are the people who died from uh, Adam and Eve all the way down to uh, the period of time in which Jesus went back to heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection. And the reason I say <clears throat> back to heaven is the hallmark, if you will, the defining attribute of the church is the indwelling, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the church, in each individual member of the church. Uh, as a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you. And John chapter 14, verse 17 says, he will never leave you. He's there with you forever. That's the defining distinction of the church, <clears throat> the gift we have because of our faith. So the Holy Spirit did not come into the church and establish the church until Pentecost, and that was 10 days after Jesus went back to heaven. So before that, before the church was established, you were an Old Testament saint. So uh, as an example, John the Baptist died before then, so he's an Old Testament saint. 
So we'll follow up on these Old Testament saints in our next Q&A. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.